Today on Go Chuck Yourself, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 12, Chuck versus the Gobbler. That's right. This is Season 4's Thanksgiving episode. Wait, wait, what's that? Wait, wait, hold on. I'm getting word that this is not the Thanksgiving episode. What? We already did the Thanksgiving episode. What? I'm wearing a turkey suit. That's right, it's not the Thanksgiving episode, but it's got a gobble in it anyways. Hello, you're listening to Go Chuck Yourself. My name is Chris Gillespie. My name is Erin Arata. A cat is attacking my butt. We have our new Go Chuck Yourself intern is uh, joining us today. Little uh, Archie. He's four months old and he is very rambunctious, but he is ready to talk Chuck. <laughs> and he's not the only thing that's different right now. Chris, do you want to tell him? So in in this episode of Chuck, Sarah is wearing a black wig. It is not communicated whether or not in the episode it is a wig or she dyed her hair. Obviously, it seems that it is a black wig. Aaron, uh, you are currently wearing a black wig I as am. well. I am. I intend to wear this for the entire time we are discussing Chuck versus the Gobbler. It makes you seem a lot more uh, evil, maybe more complex, <laughs> or that your Mysterious? motives are mysterious yes it seems yes. like you're much more russian now you're much more volokov ah yes it's not the, <laughs> the i'm about to errand. make a choice you're about to make a choice yes and once i do uh, i can't go back no um and i guess it was only a matter of time before your love of volokov turned into you wearing a black wig and, yeah i figured if yeah. i put it on he might take notice right so maybe by the end of this episode he'll show up yes i um I kind of was thinking because Sarah's wearing the black wig, she looks a lot like her character in Mass Effect, who has black hair. Okay. It's not mm-hmm. her character in Mass Effect doesn't have like straight black hair like she does in this episode. She uh-huh. has more of like the shorter but like curlier hair, kind okay. of like your wig. Okay. Your wig's pretty long, yep. but you kind of are also serving this uh Miranda from Cerberus energy right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. <laughs> that yeah. Just take my word for it. That's me, Miranda from Cerberus. Do you think that she's going to, there's allegedly a new Mass Effect game coming out. Do you think that Yvonne is going to be in it? It's supposed to be a sequel to the series, the the trilogy that she was in. How, how like, important is she in the game? Um, She's as important as any of your, your squad mates can be. Okay. You could kill, I mean, she could die in the second one when you uh-huh. meet her. Uh-huh. Unless you, like, do, you choose not to have her die, uh-huh. I guess. Okay. So she, she could still be alive. I mean, it's theoretical that she could, she could still be there. Okay. But we're not talking about Mass Effect. We're talking about Chuck. Specifically, this, the 12th episode of season four, Chuck versus the Gobbler. It's not a turkey. It's just, it's just other just things a gobble. Guy. Yeah. It's just a guy. It's, it's just a, guy. a man. Gobble. It's a synonym for, for eat, eat quickly. Yep. Just gobble, 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 gobble. You know? Right. That's, that's, that's it. It's not. That's what he does. Yeah. Nothing to do with turkeys. If you say it has anything to do with turkeys, you're out. You can't listen anymore. We're kicking you that's out right. of your fandom. We're also kicking out this year, this year oh, of right, 2020. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is our last episode of 2020. So, uh, well, it was a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed for next week. Yeah. Uh, it's been a good year for Go Chuck Yourself, I yeah, would say. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've uh, Chuck has been, I, I've said this before, but a shining beacon in the darkness of 2020. It's been mm-hmm. 
really nice to have this this sense of normalcy. And um, season four has been good. I, it's not the season of Aaron. I I know that the season of Aaron was like it was my season, so it's always going to have a special place in my heart. But season four, mm. things are exciting. And season four of Go Check Yourself, things are also exciting. We got some good plans for the new year. Can you, I can't believe that we started this year with season three. Like we started season three at the beginning of this year, and now we're already yeah. halfway through season four. Yeah. We, uh, we're really cranking these episodes out. <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> well, perk up, Aaron, because we got to talk about <gasps> Chuck versus the Gobbler. How okay. does this episode start? All right. So you may remember from the previous episode that Sarah has been arrested for treason, supposedly, and she is using that as a uh, means to go undercover and take down Volkov Industries and free Chuck's mom. So we start this episode with Casey fighting a mysterious black-haired woman who kind of looks like, you know, me right now. The woman knocks Casey to the ground and we see that it's Sarah. Sarah, she has blonde hair. She doesn't have black hair. She's probably wearing uh, the worst wig I've ever seen. Like the the wig I'm wearing, like I think is decent. You can you can tell it's a wig, but like this wig is horrible. It looks like they went to Party City and like got like the cheapest worst wig. I don't know why, because she's worn wigs before and they've looked better than this. But I guess the budget for this episode just went to all those uh, stock footage of Russia, and that was all they could spend their money on. Well, why do you think that they even? needed to have like was it just like a symbolic thing of her having dark hair now that she's like her she's going undercover that she's evil now why did they even have to change her hair color i don't know that is a good question um it just seems like a very like simplistic thing like a a visual cue to just be like mm. yep she's bad now um, kind of like in, in star wars when ray used to wear white but then she puts on black and everybody's like <gasps> You know, <laughs> I think that happened in one of the movies. Yeah, I'm sure it did. That was um that came out this time last year. It came out yep. Christmas, I believe. So the anticipation was high and the disappointment was crushing. <laughs> do do your Adam Driver now that we're talking about it. <laughs> Ray, come to the dark side. Ray, I want you to come to the dark side. <laughs> Together we can rule the Sith. Ah, oh, so good. Okay, so I'm gonna anyway. die at the end of this movie. Don't. Oh. Say that. <laughs> <sighs> but they kiss, so it was okay, as we've established. <laughs> are we related? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we are. Kiss me in my large mouth. <laughs> I look like that cat from the internet. <sighs> All right. So anyway, the uh, Sarah, black-haired Sarah, kicks Casey in the face. Or I guess she punches him in the face. I wrote kicks, but whatever. She punches him in the face and knocks him out. We then get a little title card saying two days earlier. In the Bymore, Casey approaches Morgan to ask if he's seen Chuck. Casey has an update on Sarah. Volkov has started to take notice of her taking jobs as a rogue agent around Europe. Morgan tells Casey to be careful in relaying this info to Chuck as Sarah's absence might return Chuck to the cheeseball days of old. Casey has a good line here where he says, Ah, feelings. I see why you came to me. I just thought that was a nice little sarcastic Casey moment. Fortunately for everyone, when Chuck does arrive to work, he's smiling, laughing, and all around riding high. When Casey and Morgan ask why, Chuck says he thinks Sarah will be back soon, and besides, he's come to terms with her leaving. Even though his mom changed while undercover, Sarah will always be the exact same Sarah Walker. Was was Matt and Kim playing when he was walking into the Bymore? 
I um a, a song was playing. I didn't know if it was Matt and Kim or not. Kind of sounded like Matt and Kim. Did, I feel like it's impossible not to be happy or convey happiness with Matt and Kim playing in the background, unless they have sad music or I I don't know. I guess I only know their happy songs, but they're like the the pinnacle of happy bands in my mind. Okay, well, so Matt and Kim may or may not be playing. There's no way for us to find this out. Yep. It was Matt and Kim. It was yeah. the song AM FM Sound. Okay, so Matt and Kim in this episode. Hard to be sad when you're listening to Matt and Kim. Impossible, some might say. So this line about how Sarah will always be the exact same Sarah Walker is like used to set up the next scene where she has her dark hair. It is obviously not, uh, at least pretending not to be the same Sarah Walker. But I think it's a pretty fucked up thing for Chuck to say. Because, like, obviously people grow and change throughout the course of their lives. Like, is he saying that he will only ever love Sarah if she's exactly the way she is right then? Well, I took it to mean that he wasn't concerned that she was going to be, like, influenced or lose herself in the mission and, like, go so deep undercover that she loses track of everything else in her life. All right, well. Including him. I think that's what the episode was trying to convey, too, but I still think it's a fucked up thing to say. Sure. So... As discussed, we cut from Chuck's line to Sarah, who is walking into Volkov's office in her black wig, which is so bad, especially up close. Volkov is painting a portrait of what seems to be a basset hound with a comically large, like, painter's palette. I'll say it right now, this is probably one of my favorite scenes of him. And I I do like all of them, so this is just way up there. So painter Volkov is, like, extra sexy to you? I, yeah, he's, like, sexy, he's funny, it's like... I know you you took a shine to um, Volkov, like, being a family man and, like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, family values are very important to me. I like him when he's painting. Paint me like one of your Russian girls, Volkov. (laughs) Paint me like one of your basset hounds, Volkov. (laughs) Okay, so flanked by three huge guards, Sarah explains why she wants to be part of Volkov Industries. She wants out of the CIA in order to secure a future with Chuck. So she wants to use work with Volkov to bankroll her freedom. He asks why he should trust her, and she takes out all three of the guards, then points their guns at him. She says he'll trust her because she isn't going to kill him right then. He says, you're such fun, and gives her a big hug, welcoming her to Volkov Industries. After the credits, Sarah and Volkov are discussing Sarah's first mission when Mary storms in, asking to talk to Volkov. Again, it seems like she's kind of fucking Sarah over here by, like, questioning her loyalty, but maybe she's just deep, deep in character. I'm honestly not sure anymore. Either way, she pulls Volkov aside and is like, Sarah's going to betray you. And Volkov is like, well, she could still be useful. Remember how when you first came here, your intention was to take me down? He pivots this into asking her on a date, which she brushes off. He responds, you know, I get great pleasure from bending people to my will. Which is like, weird thing to say, but I'm kind of into it. Anyway, (laughs) uh, Mary suggests that they have Sarah break Yuri the Gobbler, a cannibalistic criminal, out of prison. Basically a suicide mission. Volkov poses this to Sarah, and she agrees. We cut to Chuck listening to some beeps on his cell phone over breakfast, as you do. Morgan is a little alarmed by this, until Chuck explains that the CIA developed a code so Chuck and Sarah could communicate without using the phone or text. Morgan is suitably impressed. As am I. Like, that, that's very nice of the CIA to do for them. Yeah, it's very considerate yeah. of them. I, they don't usually go <laughs> up above and beyond like that. Yeah, but... thanks, CIA. Yeah, I guess Beckman was just being uh, being pretty nice. As they're listening, Alex calls out, asking if she can borrow Morgan's t-shirt, which moves us back into Morgan and Alex mode, baby. What's going on with them? We haven't known for a really long time. Well, I'll tell you, Alex has spent the night, and she's comfortable walking into the kitchen wearing just a t-shirt, so I think things are going really well. There's only one problem. 
The shirt Alex has borrowed is apparently an original issue Zemeckis-approved Back to the Future t-shirt. I don't know why it would, like, I, like, my, if, this is like Morgan's prize t-shirt, apparently, we've never heard about it, but my assumption would be that it was, like, framed somewhere, and Alex wouldn't just, like, take a shirt out of a frame and put it on, so was it just, like, in his closet or in his drawer? Like, if it's so special to him, why was it, like, somewhere where she thought she could use it? Or, like, um, does she just not know social cues? And she was like, ah, a framed t-shirt, I'll take that. Like, I don't really know what's going on here. But, you know, there's a pretty fun scene where she's drinking orange juice and eating pizza, and both Morgan and Chuck are watching her, very worried she's going to spill something on the shirt and decrease its value. But when she goes back into Morgan's room and Chuck expresses worry over the shirt, Morgan just says, Alex looked cute in it, which is pretty sweet. This prompts Chuck to propose that Morgan is in love, which feels a little weird considering we haven't seen him with Alex in like eight episodes, but it's still kind of a, a sweet concept. Back in Russia, Mary and Sarah meet in the only place on Volkov's grounds that isn't monitored. Mary explains that Yuri is the key to Volkov's database, which is called Hydra. And like, can they do that? Is that okay? Because Hydra is a entity in the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. I don't I know about this. Um, which, which, uh, which uh, Marvel movie is Hydra like mainly introduced in? Would it be Captain America Hydra 2? Hydra is introduced in... Hydra's introduced in Captain America, the first Avenger, which came out in 2011, I think. Okay, so I guess at the time, it would just have been kind of like a cute reference, like for the people watching Chuck. But then like Mm. Marvel was like the Marvel movies were like, we're going to bring Hydra into the mainstream. So it feels weird now, but it seems like, well, I guess Hydra, I don't remember if that's like going to be coming back. I mean, obviously, Hydra is uh destroyed in some capacity in this episode uh-huh. but not permanently destroyed yeah. so i don't know how what kind of presence hydra has yeah. throughout the rest of the episode but yeah it is kind of interesting that when this was filmed it was like the mcu didn't really exist so it was okay to rip off yeah. marvel yeah. things and trademark not trademarks but it would be it's like oh this is kind of a, a reference that people will understand and it's like oh this is going to be part of a massive movie franchise so and it kind of like it makes sense as a word like because like hydra from mythology and like the multiple heads and whatever like it makes sense why you would want to name your criminal thing that i think Mm -hmm. so yeah whatever uh mary wants sarah to break yuri out so she can find out more about hydra but she warns sarah that this kind of mission may change who sarah is sarah says she's willing to do whatever it takes much like the imagine dragons song Meanwhile, Ellie is appealing to Chuck because Devin keeps shooting down baby names. Chuck promises to help convince Devin on this next one that Ellie is so passionate about because it's perfect and unique until he hears that the name is Grunka. Grunka? Grunka. Now that name is just straight out radioactive, like the <laughs> Imagine Dragon song. That was that was pretty good. Were you were you planning that or were you just going to see which one I picked? Or it was, it was just improvisation. I came up with it in the moment. Um, at the Bymore, Devin and Chuck lament Ellie's name choice and come up with a plan to convince her to use a different name. In Castle, Casey interrogates Morgan on his intentions with Alex. Morgan fumbles a bit, but eventually admits that he really cares for Alex, and Casey says, that's all I wanted to know. Morgan is like, really? But he's saved from anything further by Chuck coming in, asking if they've heard anything more about Sarah's mission. Casey says they're still waiting for contact, but that contact comes sooner than expected when the lights and security system go out, and who should sneak in but Sarah, in her horrible wig and a black cat suit. She says, hello, boys. But she didn't just sneak in 
in any old way, she went through the air ducts. Ah, yeah. You have to. I think they, like, honestly, they must have, like, spent a lot on that set. And they're just like, we're using it in every fucking episode. (laughs) I like to think that Sarah was really didn't miss Chuck that much, but she just really missed the air ducts. (laughs) So she's like, I got to stop by and see the air air ducts. Mm -hmm. While I'm there, I guess I'll talk to the rest of the team. Yeah. Morgan says that Sarah looks evocative, but the one most uh, upset by her looks is Chuck, who seems distracted by how different she looks, even though she looks pretty much the same, just wearing a really bad wig. He's he's just really, like, he's he's weird about it. He's like, oh, did you dye your hair? And it's, like, obviously a wig. Like, I don't, I don't know. And, like, I don't know. It's, it's not, she doesn't look that different. She looks the same. She's just wearing different hair. Can I say something that is stupid, but I'm realizing now that my interpretation of this episode was apparently not what they were kind of going for. Okay, yeah. I In this scene, I thought that Chuck was, like, attracted to Sarah's new look and was, like, feeling very hot and bothered by it. And that's why he was acting weird, not because he felt that Sarah had changed, but I think you were right in the fact that he's concerned about her changing. But I interpreted it to be that he was, like, really digging it. Well, he does say in a later scene that he's, like, feels like he's cheating on her with her. So, like, I think it's not a crazy reading to have. Okay. Like, I think maybe that's, like, a sub a sub feeling within Chuck, that, like, the, the stirrings of being attracted to his girlfriend looking different, even though she doesn't really look that different, it's fine. Sarah has dropped in under the radar to ask for her boy's help in causing a diversion at the prison Yuri is being held in. I think, like, I don't know. I I like that the team is included in this, but I also feel like... Sarah is capable and could probably do it herself. She explains that Yuri was Volkov's bodyguard and is the only one who knows what Hydra is, showing them some pictures of what Yuri did to his past victims and why he's called the Gobbler. Chuck and Morgan, pretty disgusted by this, but Casey says it's pretty impressive. Sarah says she has to go and Chuck follows her out. There's a kind of cute little scene that we already mentioned where Chuck feels, Chuck expresses that he feels like he's cheating on Sarah with Sarah. But they do have, like, a nice long kiss, and then Sarah says goodbye and heads off to break into the prison. So later on, uh, Chuck, Casey, and Morgan travel to the correctional facility where Yuri is being held, which is apparently in Portland, Oregon. Uh, And they sneak into the prison by pretending to be two guards and a prisoner, with Casey and Morgan being the correctional officers and Chuck being the inmate. The staff at the prison tells them that they've gone two days without having a stabbing in the prison, which makes Chuck concerned since... He's going out into the the wreck area to be with all the other inmates, so he's concerned that they're going to have a stabbing. Uh, The original plan was for Chuck to earn respect by having a scary face tattoo, but Morgan accidentally wipes it off uh, almost immediately, so they decide that Chuck needs to earn respect by having a fight to become the top dog of the prison yard. Morgan and Casey lead Chuck into the prison's, like, recreational area, which is basically just, like, a big kind of, like, cafeteria. Once they arrive, uh, Morgan announces Chuck's arrival, like, to all of the prisoners, which I don't know if that's common practice for prisons. It's I'm like, assuming um, it's probably not. when a teacher introduces a new student. <laughs> right, if the teacher was like, hey, this is our new student, he wants to fight all of you. <laughs> Morgan announces Chuck and basically makes Chuck out to seem like this kind of deranged, violent criminal who's, like, really aggressive. Uh, this attracts the attention of all the inmates, and... Once Casey and Morgan leave, Chuck asks which one of them is Yuri the Gobbler. This makes all of the inmates scatter, except for one who tries to gesture to Yuri with his eyes, because the last time he pointed to Yuri, Yuri ripped off three of his fingers and ate them. Chuck sees Yuri and is scared, 
and Casey pages him to tell him that they have three minutes until Sarah arrives for the extraction. So Chuck needs to initiate the fight with Yuri as soon as possible. I was I was thinking, um, why do you think they had Chuck do Chuck take on the prisoner role as opposed to Casey? Like, were you thinking that, too? Did it occur to you? I, I thought, like, Casey's kind of more of an imposing figure. Like, Chuck obviously has the intersect, but I was wondering, like, they're all there. Like, I understand why they didn't have Morgan be the prisoner, but I feel like Casey would have kind of delighted in uh, taking down tough criminals, you know? True. That's a good point. I was thinking of it more of just because of the intersect that Chuck would have to be able to probably have a pretty intense fight with this presumably really strong guy mm-hmm. not to say that casey wouldn't be able to hold his own yeah. during that but i assumed it was more of just the intersect okay sure yuri is played by the actor matthew willig who is apparently a former uh nfl player he's a he's a big dude he's i couldn't a big tell dude. If he, was he is a- not stone cold steve austin why you well i guess it wouldn't really make sense for them to bring him back um but it would have been cool if he was if he was volkov's former bodyguard that was, I think that's a normal thought process to have because I also had that thought while I was watching it. I was like, why didn't they have Steve, Stone yeah. Cold Steve Austin for this? But yeah. that would have kind of required a lot of, uh, uh, I guess. You other- know, like, honestly, <laughs> maybe because Stone Cold Steve Austin is in prison now. Like, not Stone Cold is not in prison, but the character that he plays is in prison. <laughs> um, so I wonder if, like, at some point in the development process, they were thinking that it, they were going to bring him back and it was going to be him. And then they just, like, didn't. Or not. I don't know. We'll True. never know. Yeah. We'll never know. But he's a big dude. Yeah. He's a big former NFL player. He's big and scary. Um, Casey and Morgan, they like seem like they're going on patrol while this is happening. Like, I guess they just work at this prison now. Yeah. I was very confused. But it turns out they're actually just walking to a specific location. Morgan asks Casey what he thinks Alex would do if he told her that he loved her. And Casey brushes this off, saying that it's a waste of time to tell someone that you love them. You need to convey it with actions. Morgan asks if Casey's ever told Alex that he loves her, and Casey ends the conversation to focus on their mission. They enter the prison's control okay, okay. room. Hold on. You got to pause yes. here. Okay. So there is a character who um, is uh, described in the um, IMDb and the credits as creepy prisoner who offers Morgan yes. some of his own advice on romantic uh-huh. dealings. Um, and I was smiling before because I was looking up if it was the actor who plays Beans in Even Stevens, because it kind of looks like what that actor aged into. Um, it is not. It is Kevin okay. T. McCarthy, who um, his main credit on IMDb is Rizzoli and Isles. So that's why I was smiling. <laughs> I got really excited to see him. Um, he's Throwback. also he also plays prisoner number one in iCarly. So I guess this guy is just like known for playing prisoners. Do you think he plays a prisoner in Rizzoli and Isles, too? I mean, I I would have to assume that he plays some type of criminal. He's in an episode called Boston Celtic. And it's spelled with a K, so I'm not just mispronouncing Celtic. (laughs) I was going to rip you a new one if that was the case. (laughs) I was like, wow, you moved to California and all of a sudden you can't, you don't remember where you came from. (laughs) That was a great Boston accent. But we're not in Boston. We're in Portland, specifically in this uh, probably fictional prison. Casey and Morgan enter the prison's control room to confront the guard that's on duty. His name is Steve. Steve is confused to see Casey and Morgan. And Casey announces that although it goes against everything that he believes in to distract a hardworking guard protecting American citizens, there is something that he needs to do. Casey takes out a blowtorch and Steve is like, holy shit, is this guy going to torture me? (laughs) 
But then Casey takes a step back and we see that Casey and Morgan got Steve a birthday cake. Aww. They apologized for missing Steve's birthday and wanted to wish him a happy belated birthday. So at this point, I was wondering what would be the furthest out from your birthday that you'd still accept birthday wishes from someone? Um, when does that window, when does belated birthday wishes, when does that window stop? When is it officially like my birthday is done? Three months. Three months. Well, because, okay, because if you went any, I feel like three months is even kind of pushing it. But okay, so say, I would say, like, my birthday is end of July. I feel like if you were in the, up to the end of September, it would be like a little bit. Um, So I'm going to say two months. But then if you went even farther, like if it was like six months, you could kind of get into like half birthday territory. So I would say anywhere between two and six is unacceptable. Six is acceptable, and then anything after six, unacceptable. But then you're getting, like, towards, like, early birthday. Right. So you you think that the half birthday is somehow some kind of island of, like, I can say happy half birthday to you, and that replaces any kind of actual birthday wishes? I I guess that's what I'm saying. (laughs) I, I wouldn't say it, like, replaces it, but I would say, like, if someone came... If someone came to me on like Feb- end of February and was like, happy birthday, I would be like confused. And then I would be like, OK, maybe it's like half birthday. Like there, it is kind of like an island in this specific scenario of someone was pretending to be celebrating my birthday. Okay. Um, but the other thing um, that I don't know if is the case in Steve's case, but is pro- like is definitely something I could imagine happening to me is that I would just assume that they didn't know when my birthday was and like i would just want to like play along to diffuse the awkwardness like i wouldn't want to admit that it wasn't my birthday um i would think maybe they were thinking of someone else or maybe they were just trying to be nice so i would just go along with it so you think steve potentially here it's not his birthday but he just doesn't want to speak up because it would be too uncomfortable so he's just gonna play along yeah that's okay that's how i would view it what is what is your answer to this question no i i just had i didn't have any answers that's why i was asking you for the answers. Well, it is it is interesting to think about, like, when his birthday was, because I would say if it was like a month or two, he could say like, yeah, we've been really busy. This prison has a lot of stabbings, like people just want to um, celebrate like when when the time comes. But if it's really long after his birthday, then I feel like it's more of a diffusing the awkwardness situation. I think you I think it was something that you touched upon before was that you kind of are introducing like this seasonal element to your birthday because uh-huh. it seems that you associate your birthday with summer, yeah. which makes sense because mm-hmm. your birthday is in mm-hmm. the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. But as soon as summer ends, it seems like it's inappropriate for people to wish you a happy birthday yes. because it's officially out of your birthday time, yes. which I think is that makes sense. And I also think that it depends on kind of your how frequently you see someone mm-hmm. kind of correlates to when they have to wish you a happy birthday. Yeah. Because if I, like, say we hadn't seen each other or spoken to each other in six months or something mm-hmm. like that. And I, in that during that time of non-communication, we missed your birthday. Oh, so you then the bastard. next time I saw you, Forgot I, was, my birthday? I would say happy birthday. Retroact in this yeah. case. I think it depends on when, when you see people. So, so this, like, weird kind of, like, jokey scene, we have now, like, we're on board with it. We're like, this makes total sense. So with Steve distracted by all of this birthday magic, uh, Chuck meets Yuri the Gobbler and demands to take his chair. Yuri sees right through Chuck and knows that Chuck is just using him, using him to establish prison yard dominance. Yuri says that he'll give Chuck his chair, so he folds it up and swings it at Chuck's head. 
Chuck flashes and starts brawling with Yuri uh, while all the other inmates gather around to watch. At this point, several other guards enter the control room and ask what the hell is going on. Specifically, why nobody told them that there was a birthday boy in the house. Morgan and Casey pass out cake to these guards and Chuck and Yuri swear off down below using weights and barbells as weapons. Casey plants a scrambler or something on the security camera like monitor to override the camera with fake footage. Outside, Sarah arrives at the prison by hanging onto the undercarriage of a baked good delivery truck. Casey lets her into the prison just as Chuck knocks out Yuri and establishes dominance as the top dog. Ah! Top dog 316. Chuck decides to stay undercover in the prison and serve the entirety of his fake sentence as the top dog, bringing an era of peace and prosperity to the prison community. And that is how the show Chuck ends. Good night, everyone. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great ending. Very uplifting. Just kidding. Another inmate immediately challenges Chuck's dominance. That was funny. And his, his top dog status. Um, I guess it kind of makes sense. Chuck is agitated by this and thinks he's going to have to fight this guy now. But then Sarah appears and knocks out the challenger with ease. All the other inmates are stunned to see a human woman in their prison. And uh, thank God they're all apparently scared of her because <laughs> they they don't lay a finger on her. Yeah. Which I, I guess is pretty classy of yeah. them. Um. Sarah basically scares them and tells them to mind their own business, and she and Chuck carry Yuri out of the prison and load him into the baked good delivery truck. Apparently, the plan is for Sarah to take Yuri and the truck and drop off Chuck, Morgan, and Casey in the middle of nowhere. Chuck says goodbye to Sarah with an awkward little finger kiss, um, which was kind of adorable. That's how I Chuck- uh, say goodbye to my cats. <laughs> I, I don't know if that is more telling of Chuck and Sarah's relationship or your relationship <laughs> with the cats. Chuck asks if Sarah is almost done with her mission in Russia, and Sarah tells him that the Yuri thing could be a huge step in the right direction, but she acknowledges that the mission might take longer than expected. Yuri starts to, like, come to, so Sarah says goodbye and drives off. Meanwhile, at the buy mark, Devin and Ellie enter to purchase a new toaster oven, but Devin seems to have a plan up his sleeve, an ulterior motive, if you will. Hmm. He locks eyes with Lester, who approaches them and asks how they're doing. They start discussing the baby that's growing inside of Ellie. (laughs) It's a weird way to say that. (laughs) And Lester asks if they have a name picked out, to which Ellie says that they're going with Grinka. Lester is impressed by this and says that he actually lost his virginity to a woman named Grinka, who was very sexually promiscuous and also a grandmother. Ellie insists that she's sticking with Grinka, at which point Big Mike walks up and asks them if they're talking about the famous Armenian serial killer named Grunkan Kasbian. Ellie says that they were indeed talking about that serial killer and then whispers to Devin that she's no, she knows what he's trying to do and it's not going to work. So she's going to go wait in the car. As she exits the store, she encounters Jeff, who says that he loves the name Grinka. Ellie points out that she hadn't even told him the name yet, at which point he tries to reset the conversation and asks what she's naming her baby. Ellie's not having it, so she storms out. Back at Volokov Industries, Volokov is excited to have Yuri back. He says that he didn't know what to do with himself when Yuri got captured, since Yuri is the only agent with access to Volkov's Hydra network. Yuri apologizes that he got arrested, and Volkov says that he's not mad, he's just disappointed. Okay, he's very disappointed, <laughs> and takes out a gun and shoots Yuri in the head. Mary and Sarah watch this, and they're stunned. Volkov sees them and explains that he had a hard time coping with disappointment. When Chuck, Morgan, and Casey arrive back in Burbank, Chuck admits that it's weird coming back from a mission without Sarah. He explains that usually he and Sarah like to unwind after a mission with a pizza and a board game which is something that Morgan apparently doesn't already know, despite living with both <laughs> Chuck and Sarah. Um, I also have to ask, what board games do you think Chuck and Sarah like playing together? Because, you know, two-player board games, kind of tough to find. Yeah, Usually I have um, more people. I have noticed that in uh, 
in quarantine, uh, we thought, <laughs> oh, we'll we'll play board games, and then we have discovered that uh, most of them require at least three people. So at least three, four if it's going to be good. Yeah. Three sometimes a bit can be kind of tough. Um, I mean, you got Jenga. I don't know if you count yeah, Jenga as a board game. You can play Jenga. You can do that. Um, Two people. You could do um You could do Monopoly if you sorry? want to ruin what about sorry? relationship. Sorry you could do it two people. Yeah. Um Trouble. I used to play Trouble. Trouble's um, a good one. I like pretty, Trouble. Pretty pretty princess. <laughs> pretty pretty princess. That would be cute <laughs> if they played that together. <laughs> um cards. You could do some card games. I mean that I don't know if that's like a board game though, but Right, because that would be one would say a card game and um, not a board game. Pokemon? Isn't that a card game? Yeah, you're right. Or uh, Pokemon Sorry? Yeah, well, Pokemon Sorry, of course. Of course, it's the it's the best song. I'm trying to think of like games that I played with like my parents growing up, which would like with one of my parents. Um, checkers, play, chess, checkers, chess, Connect Four. Ah, you yeah, shoot, Connect Four shoots is and ladders. Oh, guess who? Guess who? Guess who? Guess who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually speaking of guess who? Hold on. Oh no! Was this like a le- a leading thing? He was waiting for me to say "guess who." That was like the code word. For some reason, I don't know why, but I was yeah, I was like, Joel, "Stop! We're gonna play Guess Who." Yeah, I have this little this little man from Guess Who. I don't know how he appeared in my room, uh, but there he is. This is Charles. That's Charles. He is one of the characters from Guess Who. That's Charles Bartowski. And he. He sits on my mirror and looks at me whenever I comb my hair. Did you? When did you find that? Uh, he appeared. Uh, I don't know somehow because I'm recording this from my my home in uh, my family's house in New Hampshire, and somehow he appeared in uh, my sister gave him to me for some reason. Okay, your aces, Charles. Your aces. <laughs> I like Charles. I like him a lot. So we don't know what board game they're going to play yet, uh, but they. They are going to play a board game uh, because Casey and Morgan detect that Chuck might have a tough night without Sarah. So Morgan suggests that the three of them play a board game together, uh, much to Chuck's excitement. He, Chuck seems to like think that this is like a big ask for them and seems to be really excited when they like follow through. But I'm like, I don't know. This seems like pretty basic friend slash roommate 101 to uh, so at least you could really do be like, yeah, I guess we'll play a board game. In Moscow, Mary asked Volkov what he was thinking. After all, Yuri was the only one who knew about Hydra. Volkov stands over Yuri's body, bends down, and says, No, Yuri was Hydra. And then proceeds to remove one of Yuri's eyeballs. Oh my god, this was so gross. Apparently, he really, like, is fishing down yeah. there. He's, he's got a... There's, like, <laughs> squishy sound effects. It's gross. <laughs> Apparently, Yuri agreed to have one of his eyeballs surgically removed and replaced with a fake eyeball that contains the Hydra database. Yuri was a... Uh, He's a real self-starter, huh? Yeah. I will climb the corporate ladder. I know. Your boss is like, hey, I want to remove one of your eyeballs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm down. Uh, Volokov presses a button and a device rises up from inside his desk. Volokov places the eyeball in the device and the eyeball starts to project Volokov's database, which appears as this kind of like augmented reality kind of thing. Volokov starts to brag about Hydra and says that this is how he keeps track of all of his contacts and that none of his contacts know about each other or what role they play in Volkov's master plan. So basically Hydra is basically just like a customer relations manager software yeah. like Salesforce, basically. It's like an evil Salesforce. Volkov admits that Hydra is the heart of his uh, strategy at Volkov Industries, but the fact that he's showing it to Mary and Sarah proves that it is imperfect. 
Volokov smashes the eyeball with a paperweight and says that human error makes the eyeball approach just too risky. Sarah asks if he just destroyed Hydra completely, but Volokov tells her that he actually just downloaded it to a more secure backup location, which makes a lot more sense. Cloud computing is generally a lot more secure than putting a, your information into an eyeball and then having your your the person with the eyeball get sent to jail where you cannot access him. So yes, using the cloud makes more sense in this case. This episode brought to you by the cloud. Volkov says that he is going to reward Sarah for a job well done, but first they need to take care of something. Something that involves his private jet. As Volkov exits his office, Mary bends down to pick up a shard of the smashed eyeball that contains a computer chip. And I guess we can add eyeballs to the list of objects this season that contain secret microchips. <laughs> yes. In addition to uh, diamonds and uh, glasses of wine or bottles yeah, of wine, if I you, should say. Uh, if you had that on your um, object, if your your data bingo, check it off. Microchip bingo. Yeah. I guess this is, this is what they mean when you hear people talk about the Internet of Things. <sighs> I guess Chuck invented the Internet of Things ahead of its time. Yeah, I think you're right. Back in Burbank, Chuck, Morgan, and Casey are playing a rousing game of Risk. You ever played Risk? I have played Risk. I played it a long time ago, and then uh, I don't know if I was playing it by the right rules because I was enjoying myself. <laughs> and then I tried playing it uh, a few years later, following the correct rules, and I did not enjoy myself. So I, I think Risk is a good I idea. I would mm -hmm. like to play Risk. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I have enough people in my life who would also be interested in doing that, but okay, I'd be well, willing you, to give it another If you go. ever want to play Risk, I'll play Risk with you. I used to have a weekly Risk game with some friends in high school. I am assuming that was a joke. That I had a weekly Risk game? Yeah. No, I just... It's not a joke. It's not a joke? You just keep laughing like it's a joke. No, right? I would just say, like, it's a weird thing to say. I had, the summer before I went to college, I used to meet up with these three guys and play Risk. <laughs> this sounds like a bit. I don't no, believe it's, you. <laughs> I wish I had a picture, but no. You met up with three guys and you played Risk yeah. regularly? Yeah, every, every Sunday. Every Sunday. Um, oh. It was, it Did was, you have fun? Yeah, I, I had a great time. I don't know if we were following the rules or not. Were you good at it? I think my strength in risk lied in the fact that like the I pretended or I don't even know if pretended. I didn't know what I was doing, which like enabled me to be like a stealth player because I would be like, I don't understand. And then I would like take out Australia. So so you kind of be like this kind of you'd establish a false sense of security yeah. for them and then you would crush them. Yeah, that's kind of where my strengths lie in most board games. So Chuck thanks Morgan and Casey for helping keep his spirits up. It's actually really cute. Casey gets really into the game and is making explosion sounds and stuff. They're interrupted when Casey's phone beeps with a message from Sarah asking him to meet her on the ninth floor of Trident Tower. Chuck wants to come along, but Casey says he can't because it might blow Sarah's cover if Volkov sees Chuck there. I know it's kind of different now because of the pandemic, but pre-pandemic, how much time did you spend at Trident Tower as a Angelino? Oh my god, I was there all the time. Yeah, yeah, I was. Kind of it's like of... it's a nice place to go if you want to like get coffee or something. And there's like that fountain outside, so you can just kind of like sit around. I used to work there all the time. Like I didn't work in Trident Tower, of course. Like obviously, if if you know Trident Tower, you know why I didn't work there. But like I used to like bring my laptop and putz around. You know, I recorded one episode there once. Once again, I'm very confused. <laughs> I don't know what I can believe. It's the black wig. I don't know if you're telling the truth. I don't uh -huh. know if you're just. The black wig just makes you like an agent of chaos. I, I don't know if any of that was true or if, or if it was fake. I have no idea. I don't think Trident Tower is a real thing. 
Um, or is it? They sent me a picture of a tower the other day. That tower featured prominently in an earlier episode of Chuck. It kind of seemed like the same tower, to be honest. <laughs> Could have been. So Volkov and Carl arrive at the pre-appointed meeting location where Volkov says that he was the one to text Casey using Sarah's phone and that he's going to have her prove her loyalty by going up to meet Casey and killing him. Oh no! Sarah is basically caught between a rock and a hard place, even more so when Volkov sends Mary up with Sarah and reveals that he has cameras trained on the whole thing so he'll be watching. This is very similar. This is uh, a... <laughs> I feel like you will understand or appreciate this reference. But I feel like this is like that moment in How to Train Your Dragon <laughs> 2 when the bad guy hypnotizes Toothless and accidentally and has Toothless kill uh, the main character's dad. Chris, I have never liked you more than I like you in this moment. <laughs> that was lovely. I love How to Train Your Dragon. We should we should do a podcast on that next. How to Train Your Podcast. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Um, as they're heading to the ninth floor, Sarah asks how she can possibly pretend to kill Casey. Mary is not a big help at all. She just is like, I don't know. But she gives Sarah the remaining piece <laughs> of your This sounds eye. like a you problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she gives Sarah the remaining piece of Yuri's eye to give to Casey if she manages to figure out how not to kill him. In their apartment, Chuck is at his wit's end, worried Sarah and Casey are both in danger and need him and or the intersect. Morgan admits he saw the meeting location on Casey's phone, and Chuck is out the door within seconds. Meanwhile, Sarah sneaks into the ninth floor, checking out camera locations and whatnot. She sees Casey and purposely kicks a can of paint so he hears her coming and turns around. They begin a fight, with Sarah covertly explaining that she has to make it look like she's killed him and asking Casey to help her figure out how to do it. Downstairs, Chuck sneaks in, leaving a voicemail for Beckman telling her what's going on. He's immediately held up by the guards. Volkov steps out and explains to Chuck that Sarah is about to make a huge choice towards embracing the darkness or whatever, and Chuck is lucky to be there to see it. He brings Chuck upstairs to watch the fight, just as Casey asks Sarah to throw him out the window. There's apparently a window washer platform not too far below, and he'll just land on that, which will hurt, but he won't die. Seeing Sarah's hesitation, Volkov offers to just shoot Casey himself, but Sarah says no and pushes Casey through the most fragile window in the world. Like, it would kind of make more sense if they just hadn't finished building that window yet, but there is a window, it does break, but it's just, like, she punches him. Like, <laughs> it's not like she, like, shoves him or, like, he is, like, whacked out of there by, like, a wrecking ball or anything. Like, she just kind of punches him. He falls backwards, like, taps the window, and it's like... Anyway, Casey falls onto the platform, and he is okay, if a little winded, but then the platform collapses under his weight, and he falls the whole way down. So that's, like, at least nine stories, maybe even ten if the first floor is a lobby. So, it's big, big fall. Yes. Chuck is like, what just happened? Volkov makes more references to Sarah embracing her true nature and doing it all for love, blah, blah, blah. Chuck is flabbergasted, but doesn't have too long to deal with it, because a guard pistol whips him and then leaves him unconscious. <laughs> Volkov leads his crew, now including Sarah, out of the building. As Casey lies broken on the ground, dead or hopefully just unconscious, we cut to a nice scene between Devin and Ellie. Just rapid mood shift. <laughs> Devin admits that the only name he's liked so far was Clara, and Ellie makes an admission of her own. Gunka is just the name of the Ikea spoons in her drawer, and she never intended to name their daughter Gunka at all. She was just forcing Devin's hand towards something else. They settle on Clara, the first of many decisions they'll have to make together as parents. Now we go back to the sad plotline again. Sarah is devastated on the plane back to Russia. 
Mary tells her it gets easier. Sarah asks how, and Mary says, with distance. In the hospital, we find out Casey is still alive, but he's fighting for that life and hooked up to a bunch of machines and oxygen tanks and et cetera, et cetera. He's, he's unconscious, and maybe he won't survive. We don't know. Chuck and Morgan are watching over him when Alex rushes in. She's terrified and devastated, and she says how much she loves Casey. Morgan says that Casey loves her, too, more than she knows. On the other side of the room, Chuck sends a secure message to Sarah. We don't see what it says, but we do see Sarah receive it on the plane. She smiles and looks like she's about to open it. Then she says to herself, distance, and declines the message. Chuck sees that Sarah has declined it, and both of them are sad. The end. And then Cake's other famous song, Going the Distance, or just The Distance, comes on. That would be uh, kind of good, actually. It'd be kind of insensitive, I would imagine. Yeah. Although, unless they had like a slowed down acoustic uh, yes, version of, of The Distance. That Cake's would, that would... uh, acu- many, many sad acoustic songs that they play. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Chuck versus the Gobbler. We just uh, gobble that right up. <laughs> just like three tasty fingers. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> uh i don't know how to make this transition maybe there's something about cannibalism and killing maybe that's what it is i don't know the next segment is chuck mary kill <laughs> where we take one part of this episode that we'd like to marry and one part of this episode that we would like to kill uh maybe maybe eat it i don't think we're probably gonna eat it we don't usually do that with our kills but yeah mine Aaron, would probably not be very good to eat no no good uh what would you like to marry i really liked volkov's dog painting yeah. Yep. I think um, I like the fact that he was doing it. I liked his comically large painter's palette, but um, the painting I think was great. It kind of was evocative of um, like when George W. Bush has become a painter. Like it kind of reminded me of that when it's like someone who is like um, an evil mastermind is actually a painter. I, I guess I could have also said Hitler, but I didn't want to bring him into this. But just like, you know, someone who's like a bad guy. And then you see that they're like painting this like very like, um, like normal thing, like a dog. I thought it was mm. funny. It's, so. uh, I thought it was funny as well. It's also a good kind of like character yeah. trait yes. that they are, but that they're evil. Yeah. And they do all this kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. But then they also like doing this kind of serene creative activity and it was a good painting like it wasn't bad it was like a nice dog i would hang that how cool would that be if we could get that painting i could just put it on my put it above my bed that would be incredible (laughs) you're gonna hang it above your bed yeah i would okay (laughs) okay Uh, what would you marry uh i really like the birthday cake scene oh that's cute uh Specifically, when Morgan asks if any of the guards want a frosting flower from the cake. Oh, that was nice. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was really funny and clever, and a very funny uh, juxtaposition to the actual serious mission and the action that's going on. I thought it was kind of a clever way of uh, non-violently distracting the guards, and um, I was obviously funny that yeah. the all these big scary prison guards who presumably see you know these really horrific, difficult things every day of their lives at their at their job um, and are putting themselves in harm's way are really easily distracted and excited to see a birthday cake. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, that's actually a scene that I remember, like when I saw that happening, I remember oh. that as something that stuck out to me in the past viewings of Chuck. So it's a memorable scene. How do you feel about frosting flowers? Are you looking for the frosting flowers or you pass them? I don't really like frosting very much if it's like, um, I Unless like it's on bread. <laughs> Disgusting. Oh, my God. 
I can be convinced on frosting. Like, if I haven't had cake in a while, I can be okay with it. But I really prefer, like, a whipped cream to a to a buttercream. Okay. Um, I don't really like fondant either. Um, so I I really tend to skip the, um, like, the frosting, the more frosting-heavy parts. I kind of go for, like, a plain, maybe writing. If it says, like, happy birthday, Aaron, I'd like my name. But I wouldn't really go for a flower. <laughs> I think if you if you eat your name in the frosting on the birthday cake, I think it means that you have like you gain, you know, some kind of super ability. For yeah, the that is um, I can confirm that. OK, that's good. Um, <laughs> what would you like to kill this episode? Well, this is probably not going to come as any surprise, but Sarah's wig pretty bad. I think we could have um, gotten a better wig. One, we could have gone with what you suggested and just like she could have been wearing like dark eyeliner or something like she, it didn't have to be her hair changes mm-hmm. um or like i don't know like she could have been wearing like a hat or something like it didn't it was just such a bad wig that like the, i mean the other thing is they could have addressed it and been like why are you wearing that wig sarah like it was just distracting sort of and like for the fact that the episode was kind of trying to imply like this darkness arising in Sarah, it was just kind of like not that vibe. It was just kind of like a funny thing that she's wearing that looked really bad. So that is what I would um, deal with in a different way than that wig. She can have my wig. My wig is nice. My wig is fine. She can have it. I think there's this implication that she, because they say Sarah's been doing all these rogue spy missions in Europe to, uh-huh. to get Volkov's attention. Yeah. So it almost implies that the having her having black hair is kind of adding credibility to her as a rogue agent because yeah. it's like uh Mr. Volkov we see that uh Sarah Walker is going rogue across Europe and he'd be like okay I don't care and then there he's like well she has a black wig you're like excuse me yeah her hair used to be blonde now it's black well she's, it's she's also not like, fucking around it's it's weird because it's like yeah it's that implication that like dark hair is equal to like mysteriousness and evilness and stuff when like we've had sarah like be rogue or be a loose cannon before with her blonde hair like she wasn't like goody two-shoes just because she had like the all-american look true but i don't know it was it was weird although as i found through recording this episode it is very hard to tell whether or not you were telling the truth or not while wearing this black wig so maybe maybe there's something to it maybe there is what would you kill (laughs) um I'm kind of over the whole plot point or like this idea that like Chuck gets depressed because Sarah's not around. Yeah. I feel like that's obviously part of his characterization and is warranted, but I feel like that is a plot point that we've seen multiple times before. Like similar to Chuck losing the intersect and not knowing if he's an actual hero without the intersect. I feel like it's just like well well covered territory yes. that we've we've seen before. So I thought I thought it was endearing that Morgan is concerned about Chuck falling into that again, but I was just kind of like I don't know. Is that that being the stakes of the episode for Chuck were kind of not that interesting to me? Yeah, I would agree with that. And then next we have the scooter scale where we uh, rate this episode on a scale of zero to five corn dogs. Aaron, uh, how many corn dogs would you and your black wig give this episode? I'm trying to get comfortable in it and I just had to like pull it down over my eyes. I feel like I look like a beetle or something. Um, we're almost done stick it out i know i'm sorry okay so um i'm gonna give this episode a 3.5 i thought it was pretty fun as we mentioned the birthday cake scene was nice um volkov painting was nice i think 
the implications of Sarah killing or at least maiming or hurting Casey was exciting, if not a little, like, I feel like it's been done before, like, not necessarily with Sarah, but, like, there's been things where, like, Chuck had to do his first kill. Like, that's stuff that they've touched upon before. Um, so I didn't think that this episode was that unique, but I still, I still thought it was pretty exciting to watch. I thought that the fights were decent. Everything was just kind of decent other than the wig. Um, I liked the the Grunka stuff, but dude, I don't remember, I, I don't know if you remember either, but I don't remember them naming the baby Clara. So, I mean, maybe they probably do, but like, I don't remember that being her name, so um I, yeah, yeah i don't i don't remember it at all so it would it seemed to me that if the characters say that they're going to name the child that then they would they would do that yeah, that but. makes sense um <laughs> i think i liked sarah's journey and i liked um hold on there was something that i was gonna say and i don't remember what it was um i liked sarah's journey i also really liked the return of alex again i'm gonna say that it feels a little bit like out of nowhere when morgan's like i think i love her and we haven't seen her at all we haven't really seen any of their relationship and they're just kind of like backpedaling like backpedaling is not the right word but like they're front-loading is the right word they're just like putting all of this stuff and being like yeah this is what you've missed the past couple of weeks um, when I wish that we had just seen Alex, but I understand why they couldn't do that. So I'm going to say I feel more positive about this episode than negative, and I did enjoy it pretty much. So 3.5. Okay. I uh, am pretty much at the same point as you. I gave it a four out of five. Okay. I enjoyed this episode. This episode didn't feel like as dense plot wise as the past couple of episodes, which I was okay with after the past few. Um, I enjoyed the the prison sequence and i was intrigued by sarah having to fight casey and stage his death and then casey actually getting seriously injured as a result of that it seems that sarah's mission at volkov industries is starting to drive a wedge between the team and in chuck and sarah's relationship so i think that's dramatically interesting i'm also happy to see that devin and ellie have decided on a name which i assume means that ellie's water will break probably momentarily <laughs> uh the b plot like that being the B plot was a nice counterbalance with the heaviness of the how the episode ended mm-hmm. with Chuck, Sarah, and Casey. Um, and I thought this episode was good because it reminds us that Volkov is a scary, evil guy. Because the past times that we've seen Volkov, he hasn't been super scary. You know, obviously, I enjoyed his kind of silly take on Thanksgiving, and uh, you kind of forget that he's kind of this big, threatening villain, but he is a villain uh, and he's good at painting. And so I am interested to see where it goes from here. I agree. And now we are moving on to the lesson of the week. What did you learn this week, Aaron? So I learned that cishet men cannot tell when you're wearing a wig, except for you, Chris. You can always tell. Yeah, I mean, it's drastically different than your normal hair. We we started. I'm just saying if, if I walked into the if if I was uh, recording this episode with Chuck Bartowski, he would probably not know that I was wearing a wig. He, no, he might were, recognize that something is different, but he wouldn't know that it was a wig. He might say, did you dye your hair? Did you cut your hair? If you were recording this episode with Charles from Guess Who, he would he would know that you were wearing a wig. Well, he pays attention. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Chris. What did you learn this week? <laughs> I learned this week that you should always tell your loved ones that you love them because one day one of your coworkers might go undercover to rescue your other coworker's mother 
from an undercover mission that she's gone too deep in and then her evil boss as a result of that will tell them to kill you so you pretend to die by falling out of a window but then you roll off the window cleaning platform and maybe actually die so in conclusion say what you need to say say what you need to say just like the imagine dragon song to say this is fucking john maricris <laughs> i have never seen aaron get so upset <laughs> i'm wearing my wig i'm a wild card do we need to say the do we have an additional lesson of the week based off of what you just shared with me? This late breaking news that that's John Mayer? No. That I'm wearing a wig? No. What? The, the thing that you just sent me, you just messaged me a link oh, to a website. That the Grunka spoons are real? The Grunka spoons are real. That's what we learned this week. Yeah, it is it is absolutely real. Um they're not exclusively spoons. It's a four-piece kitchen utensil set. Um and it's not re- it's like I get there's like a um like a ladle, a spatula, like a pasta thing, and then like a regular spoon. But I was picturing like like kitchen spoons that you would have in your like utensil drawer. But these are like cooking right. items. Oh, okay. How what what exactly do they cost? Oh, um, let me check. Uh eight ninety nine. That's pretty reasonable. Yeah, for, for four things, that's great. You can own a piece of chuck. Get the actual uh, <laughs> utensils get the that Ellie and Devin use. Get the Grunka set. I kind of already have a spatula like this. Let's see but... um, other possible names that Ellie could have said would be um, Rort. Um, Rort's pretty bad direct... for a baby girl. Ooh, ooh, I got one. Gnarp. It's G-N-A-R-P. Gnarp. The G is silent. Yeah. <laughs> um, f- f- Fullendad. Yeah. Con- con- conkus. <laughs> I'm sorry to be making fun of these like words that are just words in this language, but um conkus is pretty good. <laughs> uh Tillumpad? Pab Judah? I'm very Oh, the NARP is on sale for $1.29, so that's pretty good. Ooh. So I'm looking forward to my children NARP and Conkus. This has been a uh an interesting episode. It's been <laughs> An interesting year, and we are bringing both to a close. Mercifully, uh, Aaron, do you have anything else that you'd like to say before we wrap it up? Um, I hope you enjoyed your holiday season, and I hope you have a great 2021. Yes, I hope you have a happy new year and hope that you're doing okay. And let's cross our fingers that uh, things will hopefully be better marginally than this year. At least different. I'm assuming they'll be different. So I guess we'll we'll find out. Uh Closing out this this unforgettable year, my name is Chris Gillespie, reminding you that food is sexy. And my name is Erin Arata, letting you know that anything is possible. And also, I'm wearing a wig. She's been wearing a I'm wig still, this whole time. I, in I case. still have it on. I'm really excited to take it off. Oh, okay. Well, you can't take it off until I end the episode, so maybe I'll just keep on uh, oh, talking. God, no! See what else I have. No! I have... Uh, I have a flashlight here. I have a charger cable. I have this little Lego person. There's a little dinosaur. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to go check yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.